This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McCrae. When a lender looks at your financial numbers, what parts of the balance sheet most influences what rate you'll be offered and if you can expand your operation? What are the key ratios you should keep in mind? What strategies should you consider in a time of volatile interest rates? And what are the keys to consider whether you can purchase or rent a new piece of land? Those are our topics for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bio. One of the biggest concerns for myself and other farmers are rising input prices, and at the top of many lists is nitrogen. Even with those higher prices, you still need nitrogen, of course, and in today's world, we're looking for ways to achieve a great yield while still using more sustainable farming methods. That's why I've been using Pivot Bio Proven 40 on my corn for the past two seasons and will again this year. With Pivot Bio, I know my crops are getting the nitrogen they need, no matter the weather, and now that same predictability is available right on the corn seed. Pivot Bio Proven 40 on seed gives growers even more flexibility with their nitrogen plant. To learn more, contact your local sales rep or just go to pivotbio.com. I've heard a lot of discussion about whether a farm's balance sheet can or should support a specific price to purchase or rent a piece of land. What is the difference between being wise and progressive versus being too aggressive and overextending what is prudent? Ashley Arrington is the Director of Real Estate Products for Ag Resource Management. She's looked at a lot of farm balance sheets over the years, and she shares some great insights on what lenders are looking at, what we can do to improve our financial situation, and how we should determine if it's the time to purchase or rent new ground in a time of rising costs. Here's our conversation. Visiting with Ashley Arrington, and Ashley has been a guest for many different types of shows, including the recent Top Producer Conference. And Ashley, I know that I enjoyed hearing your session there. And one of the topics that you talked about is is growing smartly, how to invest in your farm. And there are several things we could do under that topic. But first, why don't I simply ask you to give a little bit of your background? Because not only do you know farming, but you've been looking at a lot of farm balance sheets over the years, and you have a lot of insights into when we should do things and perhaps when we shouldn't be doing things. Yeah, for sure. So I started um, my, I guess I'll say my formal education is not in agriculture. I have a bachelor's in finance and an MBA, but it just so happened I I fell into ag. So um, when I was working full time at, well, I was working part time at the bank while I was in college. Then when it came time to be full time, the only position available is in the ag department. And I was like, geez, I'm sick of being a teller. I'll try anything. And I fell in love with it. So and it, from that time forward, from the time that I was working till now, I've been in I've been in agricultural banking about 15, 16 years now. Um, I've worked as a credit analyst. So I've went through all of farmers numbers. I've worked as a loan officer. So I've been the one face to face with farmers asking them what they need. And then once I left the bank, I worked just for a while as an independent financial consultant. So I've been on the jump the fence over there to kind of talk to the farmers, to talk back to the banks about this is how we should structure things to best fit the farmer's needs. And through that, look through a ton of balance sheets, tax returns, cash flows, all those things. So, yeah, I've had a diverse background in, in my time leading up to now, for sure. 
As we think about balance sheets, and perhaps for some of us, that isn't the most interesting topic, but it's certainly something we have to do because, you know, many of us need some cash to be able to operate and do so, uh, do these types of things. From your role as being an analyst at times, I'm interested in what is it you key in on when you look at a balance sheet, because that will help us think about, okay, what should I be thinking about on my balance sheet to make sure this is strong to be able to do the things that I want to do? I would say one thing, and I know farmers have heard this so many times, but cash is king. Um, looking at your working capital ratio, I mean, working capital, that's your first defense against commodity price volatility and in the market that we're in, input price volatility. So if you're falling short, if you can't borrow as much as you think you need for your operating line, um, if, you, if you're scared you may need more this year for certain reasons because you can't secure some type of input ahead, or if you don't, forward contract or hedge as much as you want or are nervous about your marketing capability, um, having that cash on hand, that's your first defense. Um, after that, debt to asset is really the next ratio that my eyes really go to uh, because you want to know, you know, wh where you are with that, how leveraged you are. If you need to borrow more money, how much more room do you have to borrow? Does it make sense? Does it make you over levered? And are you properly valuing your assets? So those are the two key. There's so many ratios and some of them to me just don't even make sense that are looked at sometimes. But if you're really wanting to just take a quick look at your financial stability, I'll say start with working capital and then go to debt to asset. So if we look at those two ratios, thinking about working capital and, and debt to assets, is there a, we'll say, perfect spot you'd like to be or where should I be thinking about as a range? because it's not fun to get too close to the line usually, especially in a time of high volatility. Oh, absolutely. You know, and one question I've got asked so many times over the years is how much working capital is too much working capital? And, you know, and it, it's hard to tell anybody, oh, you have too much cash. But I do think you get to the point where, you know, you could put your money to work. I mean, because a farmer's balance sheet, a farmer's farmland, that is their business portfolio the same way that any other business has has an asset portfolio. So you want your assets to work for you. So if you, you can get to the point where you have too much cash. But in this highly volatile environment, like you just mentioned, I do think having extra cash on hand is very important. Um, usually, like if you're looking for a standard 1.25 um, for, for you know, your current ratio, which is tied to working capital, is what's typically seen. Um, 1.10 was kind of when the down environment was, at least if you have 1.10, but 1.25 is what I would look at somewhere between there and 1.5. For debt to asset, I do a lot of work with young farmers, so I don't want anyone to be discouraged by what I'm about to say. But typically for conventional financing for farms looking for 30 year fixed rates and such, you're looking at 50 percent or below. Um, but, you know, when you're starting out, it's hard to be there. You have to purchase a farm. You have to gain that equity. Um, but anywhere 60 percent and below is probably in the safe zone is is what I would consider. But when you qualify for the top tier of everything, if you're going for financing at that, maybe not. But I don't think you're at risk of any of going upside down, if that makes sense. This would be a hard question to answer. But thinking about that, how big of a difference do those ratios make then in when I'm going to a lender and getting the best rate that I can? Because certainly in a rate environment now that has gone up, to me, there's a lot more difference between maybe your top and not so good producers and what they might get for an interest rate. That can have a big difference on my bottom line. 
Oh, yes. And that's a really good thing to bring up because, you know, when we see the environments with rising rates, like you talk about, we usually see a more stringent credit standard because your payments are going to be more. You know, if you're looking, you know, to, to ballpark a payment for someone, $70,000 per million was kind of the standard when we were at 3.25 prime. Now we're looking at like $90,000 per million. It's kind of the standard. So that's more. So people, so farmers have to generate more net income to be able to service these payments. So the, the credit quality is of more importance. So, you know, where it was, okay, like I mentioned earlier, 1.10 was okay when times were down. That's all we can really expect in this environment for your current ratio. Now, you know, we're back to 1.25 and that's kind of a hard line lenders may draw in the sand. You know, we need that additional cash on hand because what if things turn, you know, they still need to have cash available to make payments. Um, and then thinking about, you know, debt to asset, highly volatile environment for interest rates, also highly volatile environment for uh, farmland prices. We've seen huge swings in farmland prices. So the value that's on a balance sheet, how stable is that value? Is that bubble going to pop? Are we going to see those values come back down and debt to asset deteriorate? So I will say that I do think credit standards are stiffening a little bit and the line in between your top tier and your bottom tier is getting longer, if that makes sense. So walk me through a situation that many farmers have right now, whether it is a decision to purchase land or maybe to go out and try to rent more land. How do I look at my balance sheet and say, okay, this is something I should do. I could be aggressive or well, this is something I could be do, but not be so aggressive, or this is something I should just not even consider. Walk me through how I should make some of those uh, choices. Sure. So what, the balance sheet is one item to look at. Also, we need to look at cash flow, but to start with balance sheet, um, think about where you were a few years ago. Think about it historically. How much have you improved? Because, you know, coming off of the downturn, the severe downturn that we were in, that saw a lot of farmers, unfortunately, got a business, filed bankruptcy. You probably got down to very slim working capital. Some people probably got down to negative working capital. So if you've complete, if you've built your working capital back up, you've got your current ratio to a good point, how comfortable are you there? Are you just at the level of comfort? Because if you've just got comfortable and you may have to take some of that cash out to put down a down payment to purchase land, are you still going to be comfortable? Or is that putting you back into the I was worried territory that you just came off of and you just built back up? So, you know, for it, you know, we're looking at ratios here, but peace of mind and uh, the mental process of going through this, that's something else you have to think about because you don't want to put yourself back in the same worrisome boat that you were when times were down. Then also take a look at your debt to asset on your balance sheet. Like we just talked about a little bit ago, is the is the values on there stable? We've seen, you know, the increase in prices of equipment as well as the increase, heavy increase in prices of land. You should absolutely properly value your assets. Give yourself proper value. But if the equipment market takes a turn downwards and if the land market starts to trend downwards some from here because of interest rates and inflation, then how stable are those values? Can your debt to asset take a turn? Are you still going to be at a comfortable level taking on more debt, especially if you're going to use some of your cash from the top of your balance sheet or some of the equity from the bottom? So those are the places I would look before I started making decisions about growing the farm. You brought up something there that I think is very important. In this time in which we have seen prices moving higher, in some cases fairly steeply higher, when we think about land or machinery and so forth, 
So there is a, an idea that, okay, I need to value those accurately, but is there danger in me moving those too far up on my balance sheet and in a sense giving me credit for something that I didn't really do? It was just the market moving. And if the market moves backwards, now I have a balance sheet that is could be wildly out of balance because I took credit for something that has just been appreciated in price recently. How do I deal with that in this, this time period? That's an excellent question. And that's not the first time I've heard that question. So when you're talking about going to a lender, a lender wants to see a fair market value balance sheet. And the fair market value balance sheet is representative of a specific point in time, you know, February 10th, 2023. This is what my, this is what my assets are worth. Um, and that is what you believe them to be worth because of market conditions. So, I would value my land based on current sales around me that I see, what I see land going for around me. But then you have another balance sheet, which is your cost basis. What did you buy it for? Um, those are ones that are kind of kept internally and ones that, you know, the lender really doesn't want to see that much. Um, they take into account depreciation of equipment, not the fair market value of equipment, things such as that. Um, and the difference in between the two, that's your earned net worth. That's how much net worth you have earned between your cost basis and your fair market value. So it's important to be mindful of both. And also, like I was talking about earlier, to be mindful of your historical balance sheets. If you see a 30% increase in your uh, long-term assets year over, one year over year, that's a big jump for one year. So how stable is that? Like I said, I don't want you to undercut yourself for your assets, but also you need to be mindful of how stable is this in the future, especially if you're going to be making decisions based upon those values. Ashley, I'm interested, you know, we've been talking about a lot of ratios and, and so forth, and you have a background in finance. But if somebody's listening to this and they're in agriculture, they're farming, they're running a business, maybe we know agriculture well, but finance is something that I've had to kind of learn on my own and it doesn't come easy to me. How do I, number one, handle that myself? Or if I feel like I need help with that, where do I turn? Because this is important stuff and can determine whether we stay in business or not. And for you, it comes very easy. But for those of us that have may struggle with it, how do I get my hands around it? That's an excellent question. And I really haven't asked that question too much, but that's a great point. And um, I'm going to start with young farmers first. I've done a lot of work with young farmers in my career because I started out in the ag business doing finance at a young age. So, uh, you know, I was immediately drawn to helping people and I saw the disconnect in between the older generation doing all the business and not including the younger ones. And then by the time the younger ones were going to take over, they didn't really know what was going on. So I kind of wanted to fill that gap. So I've done a lot of work with young farmers. And one thing I've noticed is, you know, when I get in a group full of young farmers, they don't want to ask as many questions. And I think it's because... Some have the mentality that they should already know that. And somebody may think, oh, I can't believe you don't know that. And they may think that others think they're lesser or they're stupid or something uh, like that. But, but that's not the case. If you don't ask the question, you're never going to know. You're not going to learn. So I would encourage people, young farmers especially, but any farmer who thinks that they could do better on the financial side, ask for help. Ask Ask your peers in your area, you know, who, how do you do this? Do you have a bookkeeper? Does your CPA help you with this? Does, does your wife help you with this? You know, whoever it may be, 
who helps you make your financial decisions? You know, people that you know are successful. Ask your peers, you know, ask your CPA, talk to them, see what their thoughts are. Talk to your banker. Just the main thing is just not to be scared to ask for help. There's a lot of resources out there um, and a lot of it is just talking to people around you because a lot of things as it relates to ag and even some of the ratios, there's some regionality to them and what makes sense across the country. So if you go and Google something, it, it, it may tell you something different than what may be most applicable in your area. But just talking to those around you, build your team, your CPA, your bookkeeper, you know, hire somebody on staff to help you with it, to understand it, I think is key and, and very important to, to learning, you know, and you can reach out to folks like me. I'm not the only one that talks about things like this. And I love getting questions and I love talking to people about things. So we're all here to help. So you've worked with a lot of producers over the years, both young and older. Are there any things that set the top producers apart from others when it comes to finances and balance sheets, what can we learn from those that are doing well? I would say what you can learn from those that are doing well is they keep more accurate records and they stay on top of it. One of the best farmers I ever worked with, he would look at his stuff weekly. He would close it out. He would close out his payroll. He would come in like you could talk to him weekly. He would know exactly how much he had spent on fertilizer. He would know what his accounts receivable were. He knew everything. He knew off the top of his head, his loan numbers. He would know, you know, what the payments were when they were doing. I'm not saying everybody has to know all that. That was just what this gentleman did. But he he did all that and stayed on top of it. I'm not saying you have to do it weekly. But what I see the the, the drop off in between those who need help and those who are more successful it's the ones who end up needing more help or the ones who only look at their financials once a year. It's at the end of the year where, okay, let's run our QuickBooks report as of 1231, give it to the accountant. And, you know, we're going to be short. I'm going to be short $200,000 of making my payments and stuff. And it's, you may have had the idea that was coming, but you didn't know what the number was. You didn't know exactly what you were going to be short of paying when the other guys who had been looking at it monthly or at least quarterly know hey, we see a hole for in here. We done blew out three line items on our budget and we're not marketing at the level that we thought we would. We're not getting that revenue level. There's a gap here. How can we fill it? Can we cut down on one of our other budget line items? Or we need to be more aggressive with marketing now to try to fill that gap ahead of time. So as the, the hole could start getting dug in June, if you don't find the hole till December, it's going to be a much deeper hole. So staying on top of it all throughout the year, I think is key. So speaking of the hole that could be dug right now, we have interest rates that have certainly gone higher and that can dig a hole fairly fast if we aren't on top of it. Just give me an idea of where we may be headed with interest rates, because if farmers are renewing loans right now, they may be seeing interest rates that are three or four percentage points above where they renewed that loan last year. This has been quite a rate increase. Where do you see these things heading from here? If you take a look at the long-term market, not just prime, so if you're talking about the long-term rates, like your 30-year fix that are tied to your treasuries, bonds, and such, um, they started to tick downwards. So we saw like the highs in the third quarter, into fourth quarter, and then they gradually started to tick down some. But they have started to incline a little bit after that, but which is indicative of another increase. Because we all think the Fed's going to increase at least one more time in March. Um, most 
myself included, but then all others much smarter than I believe the Fed will have one more increase in March. 25 to 50 basis points is what a lot of people think. And then there's going to be a um, flattening off period after that. Of course, nobody knows exactly what will happen. That's my thought. Looking at the rate charts historically, looking at what the long-term rates are doing in relation to the, what the five-year rates doing versus what the 30, that kind of all lines up and that all makes sense. So that's my best guess is we'll probably see one more increase, 25 to 50, and then we're going to kind of level off from there. So would you have any strategies then based on this current rate environment in which we could be here for a while, but then move lower? Should I look at adjustable rates, fixed rate for a period of time, and then adjusting? Should I have a new strategy than I've had in the past, given the, the current rate environment? Well, right now, you know, if you're looking at fixing a real estate loan, I, I don't recommend fixing a 30-year fixed right now because, you know, we've already saw from the end of last year to where we are now a, a decline in the 30-year rate. Like I said, it's starting to tip back up now, heading into what we think to be the the next and hopefully last rate increase. But if they start to tick down again because we think the Fed's done, I don't believe it to be smart to fix a 30-year rate in this environment. Uh, but I would look more towards the 5 to the 10-year fixed. Um, I think you'll have opportunities within the 5 to 10-year window to refinance at a lower rate. Paying more to lock it in longer than that right now, it doesn't make that much sense to me. Any strategies then on maybe it's just my annual operating loan and as far as looking at interest rates or trying to get the best rate I can because a lot of people are needing more capital now just simply because inputs have gone up. Are there any things I need to be thinking about in that area? If you already have your rate, your line of credit, thinking about a fixed rate, we think there may only be one more increase but we don't know that with certainty. You know, last year, having a fixed operating loan or fixed rate on your operating loan would have been amazing <laughs> if you would have locked it in at the beginning of the year and not had to ride out all the rates, uh, rate increases throughout uh, 2022. I mean, that was quite the wild ride. Um, I think 2023 is going to be a little bit more tame, but if you could have went ahead in December and locked in a fixed rate or beginning of January to not have to ride out this one in March, because we think that's the last one, but we don't know how the market's going to react. There could be more. So if you're someone that's more risk averse and you want to take that risk off the table, talking to your lender about a fixed rate in lieu of a variable rate may be something, maybe a strategy that you could employ. That way, you know, thinking back to, you know, managing your expenses throughout the year, you know, with a little more certainty what that expense line item is going to be on your budget. So as somebody who has sat on that lending side of the table, analyzing some of those loans, what is it that we should know to do as we talk to our lender? How can we make that relationship better that hopefully makes our business stronger, but also helps get us the best rates with whoever we're working with? I get I, the most important thing that I tell people with their lender is just be transparent. Tell them because most all issues, if you try to hide them within your books or not tell them different things that are going on, things such as that, they're going to surface at some point. We're going to see it in some way or another. Maybe it wasn't on this tax return. Maybe it'll be on the next. So just be transparent. Tell them up front, hey, I think I'm going to need more than I did than I did last year. You know, I've ran my numbers. This is this is what we're looking like. I'm talking about talk to them about any issues, but also tell them your plans for your growth and 
anything that you can tell them to help them better understand your operation, what you want to do and let them know that you have a clear vision forward on this is what you want to do. You're not just making decisions, you know, from the cab of the tractor and pulling the trigger on something just because you want to grow. This is something that you've thought about. This is something that you've planned for. And the more that they see that, the more they'll hold you towards the top tier. Ashley, any other advice that uh, you want to pass along, whether it's to young farmers, farmers of all ages, what are the things should we think about as we move into uh, this new year? Um, I would just, just, it's a volatile environment as it relates to commodity prices, as it relates to interest rates, inflation, land prices. There's a lot of volatility out there. So any strategies that you can use or employ to manage any of those things are important. We can't manage them all. Don't try to. You'll worry yourself to death. But there's a way that you can manage your interest rate risk, your input price, volatility, whatever that may be. Um, focus on one or two of those items and just do the best you can because you can't you'll, you won't sleep at night if you think that you can manage them all. So just try your best to manage what you can and employ those strategies and to, to best serve you in your operation. Because some operations, interest rates more important. Some operations, it may be input price volatility is more important. What's most important to you try to manage that and you'll be fine. Ashley, I appreciate the time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Remember, you can follow Farming the Countryside on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Just type in Farming the Countryside. And remember, you can hear these shows in a variety of ways as well at farmingthecountryside.com, on many local radio stations, or on your favorite podcast platform. If you miss one of our shows, it's easy to find at farmingthecountryside.com or on that podcast platform. I try to share a variety of topics, and in many cases, the information from many of our guests I find is helpful when I search for it long after we've completed the interview. So be sure to search the archives for stories of interest. I appreciate you joining me. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com.